how many times you go to a conference where somebody's actually like, hey, let's talk about the website, you know? No, it's like TikTok, Clubhouse. You know, what is the next shiny object? Like, what's the trendiest buzzword? And website kind of has fallen into the oblivion of like an old thing. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind the scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm chatting with an old friend and colleague, badass marketer and business owner, Matthew Capilla. Matthew is a keynote speaker, entrepreneur, the founder of Alphamedic, an SEO marketing agency in Miami, and author of the new book, The Psychology of a Website. As a Polish immigrant who started out on the scaffolds of Manhattan, Matthew is truly a self-made success story. Studying books and seeking mentors, he learned how to use internet marketing tools to create opportunities for himself that he would never have otherwise had. I selfishly wanted to invite him on here because I talk a lot of smack about SEO. Not because I don't think it has value, of course it does, but because for the small service lifestyle business owners that I usually talk to, I kind of find that it's more of a distraction than anything else. So I wanted to bring Matthew on to catch up and also to ask him to help us sort out what is and isn't helpful about SEO when it comes to building our businesses. He knows more about SEO than anyone I know. So buckle up. Here we go. You are the one and only person I think of when I think of SEO. So that's pretty good. That's good branding. I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hey, SEO like on five. It was a good title. <laughs> like really catchy. Remember? It opened so many doors for me, that book, that I really self-published. So, you know, your yeah. podcast is for small business owners. And one of the things that I talk about is, you know, you have to establish trust. That's number one step into everything. You know, Dory Clark, I think you know Dory Clark. She's a Harvard She's Business Review soon. writer. She's coming soon. Say hello for me. I, I just interviewed Dory for my book, actually, and, and she's been talking a lot about that. She's been saying that trust is really, you know, the essential ingredient before anything else happens, whether it's on your website or it's a networking event. You know, you're not going to really do any business or spend much time talking to somebody you cannot you don't you don't really feel like trust and that's that's the thing you know i took recently i've been talking a lot about marketing psychology so i think it was sigmund freud he said the human brain is like an iceberg and you know from my recent trip to iceland i've seen a few icebergs up close uh -huh. and yeah it's like sticks out a little bit right you see like a little bit two feet above water it sticks out and the rest like the one seventh of an iceberg is below water. And that's the same analogy can be applied to human brain because the 10% or the, 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 you know, the, the one seventh of it per Sigmund Freud is the conscious part is when I think about, can I trust Pia? And this is the mathematical computation about the future expectation, how you will behave, what I can expect from you basically. And then the one seventh of it is the subconscious, is the gut feeling, is that sort of a thing. So how can you actually, as a small business owner, project that with social media, with just the way you approach other people at a networking event? I talk more about the websites because, as you said, I've been involved in SEO for the last 15 years. 
So I talk more about how to do it with a website because right now on the internet, I like to say that you know the human's attention span on the internet is shorter than that Nothing. of a goldfish. Yeah. You know, it's phew, they gone. Like they look a fraction of a second and the gut feeling, the one seventh of an iceberg. Are you projecting confidence and trust and expertise and authority or are, they just lose you? I love that. So let's go back to this first book because I want to hear your progression because was that, mm-hmm. was that the first book you published? You self-published? Yeah. Okay, so you did that to build trust. Yeah, you know, and I build it to build trust. You know, you have to really, I believe in what Tony Robbins says is modeling. So you have to find people who are a little bit ahead of you and model your success on theirs, not to copy per se. And you have to merge many different influences, many different mentors and all of that and find your unique voice. So I think that's really is the prerequisite before writing a book because you know, you have to have a message and the book is just an expression of your message. One of the expressions you can do, you know, podcasts and you can do other things. But yeah, that starts really with a message. So, you know, I look at a lot of people and they have these books and I noticed that every, you know, I wanted to, I started my own business and I wanted to, like you said, I wanted to have these Fortune 500 clients. And again, it's human to want just a little attention because without attention, you will not be able to open any doors. Right, you can keep knocking, but they don't know you. Well, that is a hundred percent true. But I wouldn't say that everybody wants attention. I think a lot of people are scared of attention. But to your point, you need attention to open doors. <laughs> and and we can talk about that because I yeah. think uh, a lot of people talk about the the imposter syndrome, and you know, now that I've been studying psychology, to be a better marketer, you have to study psychology. But you know, sometimes it's the brain that is uh, giving us a little bit of you know pullback. And we have to know what it's when it's coming from. But obviously, you have to feel qualified. So you have to study a topic. Like I don't believe in the four-hour rule. I don't believe yeah. in Tim Ferriss. You know, like I love, I read it, but I don't think it's as applicable right now because. Well, you that know, was of you, a time, right? That was of a time, especially in your world. That was of a of a Google AdWords time in two thousand seven or something when it was the Wild West. It's not like that anymore. Well, you know, again, to some extent, you can automate things and you can offshore and, you know, you can do that type of a thing that is like a sales funnel and nobody ever talks to you and you just uh, on the beach drinking, you know, tequilas. And I I, actually, I did that for almost a year. I traveled around the world as a nomad and I've done that. But I can tell you that this is a misconception. And also for your listeners, you know, you got to be the boss. You have to own your accounting, you have to own your finance, you have to own building a team, you have to own all these different elements. And a lot of people come to me and like, they want to give me advice. And sometimes people who like haven't really built, you know, a seven figure business or whatnot. And, and they say, well, Matt, like, why would you just like, you know, outsource everything? Why do you even worry about this? Like outsource sales, outsource marketing, outsource this, get, a, you know, a, a drink with these tequila drink with one of these umbrellas and go to the beach here where I live in South Miami. Uh, South Miami Beach. And the truth is that, you know, it's it's just not as sustainable. And maybe you can build something small. But if you want to scale and go big, you have to take control of things. And it's not always as easy, if that makes sense. That's what I, I think. I 100% agree. It, it's 
it's really easy to say outsource it, hire somebody to do it, which is in theory a great concept. But who do you hire and how do you know that they're going to do a good job and how are you able to assess that? You can't assess how well somebody's going to do at their job if you don't know anything about it. Where I've landed is I have to become like somewhat of an expert in everything and then be an, like a very educated consumer where I hire people, but I should be able to evaluate how, the work that they're doing and know what they're doing enough to know whether they're doing a good job before I outsource something. Exactly. And you know, this brings me back to your question about the book, yeah. because it's okay to use ghostwriters. It's okay to have a team around who's going to support you. But you have to own it. Like you have to gonna you have to be the one who understands the message and then you know the book is a doorway to other opportunities, whether it's speaking, consulting, or you know, media interviews and whatnot. You have to get in front of a camera and really speak about the concepts in the book. And this has to be something that is new. It doesn't have to be a brand new way of thinking, but if you just grab a few influences and merge them together. And I think Picasso was the one who said, you know, I don't copy, I steal. And, you know, he was, you know. So That's have, come you, up on this podcast before, yeah. yes. <laughs> so you have to be like, you know, have a fine line of grabbing influences from other places, and then you have your own message. It has to be now, your ideas. What was the core idea that you felt like that you really owned in that book? In yeah. the first book, and this was 2014, so SEO Like I'm Five was really about, you know, I worked in Madison Avenue at many different digital agencies. And I was building these SEO groups at these agencies, you know, million, multi-million dollar groups. And I would go to a client, whether it was, you know, we work with Unilever and you know, Dell and Western Union and all these big, big clients. And, you know, I had to like kind of educate people about SEO. And even though they were experienced marketers, because it's just, you know, technical, people kind of like, you know, shy away from it. So I felt that it was a need. There was a need of, the SEO for dummies, which I felt like was not really written for dummies. Like I'd really enjoy, maybe it's a great book for a lot of people, but I wanted to bring something that was more of a storytelling that would get people inside the concept through a story. You know, the book, the first big uh, advantage of the book was that, you know, I was able to put myself on the map and I already knew SEO. So I knew how Amazon search engine worked and I knew mm -hmm. how to get my book to basically get optimized to become the bestseller or rank the Kindle to rank in like top 10 bestsellers. And I did a lot of creative marketing for like bootstrap small business. I was a small business then. And it opened a lot of doors. And one of the doors that opened was L'Oreal. L'Oreal hired me as a result of that book. Somebody from L'Oreal reached out to me and you know I worked with the, the CMO group over there at L'Oreal. We did SEO for like 30 websites, 30 brand websites. I did As a, a massive, consultant? Yeah. So I started my business. You know, it's a service business, right. digital marketing agency, uh, Alphamatic. We specialize in SEO and Google ads. And I started it as a consulting business. You know, sometimes, you know, when you start as a consultant, you know, the most important thing is that you have to be able to charge as much as possible for your work. So that's why I went for big companies and I created experience as opposed to selling my hours, I would sell certain experience. So one of them was this major two-day SEO bootcamp for L'Oreal, where we had these people from marketing teams coming from, you know, even you know, all over the world to, to participate in that and the CMO and everybody. And the book opened that opportunity with its wow. title, right? Wow. Because it, 
you know, you have to understand the, the psychological feeling of belonging, right? You have to belong to a story, to your journey, to your idea. And when you write a book about SEO and you just write like a manual, okay, you are positioning yourself and this can apply to anything, branding, creatives, you know, especially in these industries where there are so little differentiation when you kind of like, hey, I design logos. Okay, you, you're competing with like a, a billion people in the world, you know, where price will determine really. So you have to kind of sell something that's more of an experience. And I look at your brand boot camps and the way you and Steve were, were approached that when you were able to actually, you know, your journey was to kind of take the service and put it more into a kind of product and experience. And you talk a lot about that. So yeah, that similarly to beginning. your two day event, like you, to your point, mm -hmm. you have to charge as much as you possibly can if it's going to be a consulting business for it to even work. That's right. Yeah. And then, you know, there's a next step in business, right? Where I build up uh, you know, a nice consulting practice and I work with freelancers, obviously, to help me out. And then I came to a point, you know, what, what next I wanted to do. My journey was, you know, right, SLCon 5, and I wanted to create more of, you know, like, a, I would say, online courses and info products and that sort of a thing. And then I traveled for about a year. That's where I, when I left New York, and I saw you most likely for, for, for the last time in person. And, you know, I left my car at JFK. I donated my furniture from my apartment, and my lease expired. And people came just two for free. You know, one, I was really proud of it that, a wife to a husband who was like deployed in Afghanistan or somewhere. She came and like the first person and like, oh, this is so helpful. We just, you know, starting a new place. I'm gonna take all your furniture. I'm like, boom, done, I'm free, <laughs> you know? And, and again, what, you know, when you have a, a wife and five kids in the mortgage, you're not gonna do that. Right. But I was, I was in a different stage in my life and I parked my car, JFK, and I just went to Europe and I lived for a few months in Europe traveling from different places and doing Airbnbs and hotels. And I was able to just, you know, do the whole thing that people love to do, the whole remote, you know, internet entrepreneur and all of that. What were you selling at that point when you did that? You know, it was mostly a kind of online courses and products connected to the book. And I would also do a lot of workshops. And these workshops were, were like the kind of one-off where I would come in as like, hey, I'm this you know, like you said, like SEO expert, or I don't want to use the word guru, but, you know, I would study the topic and I would write about it. I would blog. I would actually be paid to write. I was writing on, on, a, on a popular blog and a popular website, tech. And, you know, there was like multiple different streams of income. And even with a book sale on Kindle, you know, you, you keep a major, you know, a part of that profit. And then, you know, I had an audio book and all of these different things and online courses. But I would still do a lot of consulting, which was the major source of income. I felt people were coming really for consulting where I could get the big paycheck. So I was attracted to that. You know, I was attracted to that. So I had to go back to the U.S. and I would, you know, go speak at conferences. And I would just go see clients. I would drive to see a client. And I would be like, hey, let's do a, you know, a, a one-month project, a three-month project. Let's actually do an audit and then a workshop, and then a strategy and, and, and training. And then I started kind of thinking about intellectual property. So I may have some templates and I may have some things that your team can use. I'm gonna teach them how to use it and that sort of a thing. But for me, ultimately, uh, a PIA and everybody's different. For me, you know, it, the lifestyle wasn't for me. After a year, I learned what it, what it, what it entails. And, you know, I really missed uh, being part of a team. 
I really miss kind of trying to build something much bigger than myself. And, you know, my company was, you know, kind of more of a consultancy business. And about five years ago, I moved to uh, Miami over here and uh, started hiring people, building a team and just really focused, really focusing on the brand. So I like that I can create opportunities, not only for myself, but for other people. Right. And and we have clients that who've been with us for a while and we have a great team. And that was the main driver, kind of switching these lifestyles. But. Gotcha. I like that I've done many different things because yeah. I know what works for me at the end, huh? Yeah, you got to try out different lifestyles and now you know what you want to do. And you started with SEO, but obviously you're moving into not just the SEO. But I mean, you wrote a book about websites. So what is that transition and what is your team and your company? What has it evolved into? What kind of services do you sell now? Yeah. So, you know, in the beginning, it was really about SEO and a lot of listeners have this, I think, dilemma if they early in their business. I mean, early, let's say that you are, you know, below a million in revenues a year or, or, or below 500K, where you kind of have to hire people. You have to, you either scale up or you have to, you know, figure something out because the growth is just requires that type of a, a, a mind shift. So at this point, if you actually decide to scale, if that's mm-hmm. your path, you know, there is growth and there is scale. Well, you can grow Ooh, with the cost the going. Well, you can grow with the cost going up, right? You can make ten million dollar revenue and make fifty thousand dollars yourself. Yes. Or, like you mentioned, you can make five hundred thousand dollars in revenue and like banking four hundred k because mm-hmm. you use freelancers and outsourcing. So, you know, but scale is really when you grow and you keep the, in my view, and we keep the cost down mm-hmm. because you employ systems and processes and you hire the right team who can help you. So, but going back to the question, it, the dilemma is, like you said, you know, Matthew, do you just offer search or you offer, you know, social media and digital marketing and you become this big agency or, you know, and, you know, in the beginning, I think it's so important to niche. And this doesn't have to be like a traditional niche, what people think about it. This can be an intersection where you can actually differentiate. Okay. So we went through a phase of last year, a fast growth, and we added different services that were kind of like aligned with what we do as a core, which is SEO and Google ads. But Facebook ads is a great adjustment service for us because we are very analytical. And listen, who would you prefer to run your ads? A company that does like a branding awareness or a hardcore pay-per-click ROI, data-driven, you know, SEO you know, specialists, right? People like that, that we, we are very data-driven. So Facebook ads was good, you know, social media, content creation, but we don't do many other things and we kind of focus on it. And that's why with a new book, for me, you know, I want to double down on the websites. So now I see personally a trend where the whole industry is moving from one shiny object to another, right? How many times you go to a conference where somebody's actually like, hey, let's talk about the website, you know? No, it's like TikTok, Clubhouse. You know, what is the next shiny object? Like, what's the trendiest buzzword? And website kind of has fallen into the oblivion of like an old thing of the internet. Because if you think about the internet, it was built, you know, on the idea of a website and connecting links and hyperlinking. And, you know, when you look at the recent pandemic and you're looking at what happened, you know, Amazon became a website, became, you know, the biggest company in the world. 
some websites like Wayfair.com, you know, became like, you know, valuation went through the roof. The e-commerce, the growth of e-commerce in the first three months of this year, that's a study from Bank of America, grew 10 times compared to the same period last year. So people buy online, you know, and today they don't buy on social media, okay? And people get like, I always make fun of it. People go crazy about like voice search. Oh my God, the voice search, Alexa. Every, have you, do you know anybody who bought from Alexa? You go and buy on websites. And you know, for a business storefront, yeah, social media, people measure social media in likes and engagements. And you know, the social commerce is something that would come about over the next few years and things like the creator coin and crypto or whatever, like there'll be more opportunities to monetize social, but the business is conducted on the websites online. You go to social media, you go here, and then you go to the website, then you buy there. Right. And then the marketers spend most of the time on these shiny objects and they're chasing the next thing. Oh my God, I need to be on Clubhouse. Oh no, I need to be on TikTok. Oh no, I need to be on this, I need to be on that. You know, and they're not really putting any attention on their website. So that's why I'm, I wrote a book about websites. Yeah. The psychology Tell us about of the it. website. You know, I went back to my, what has driven my success as, as an entrepreneur, which is kind of publishing books, creating mm -hmm. this message, speaking, spreading the message, and then getting people to, you know, be interested in what you're talking about. The thesis of behind the book is that the human brain is your algorithm, okay? And the whole digital world is governed by the algorithms. So these algorithms, they don't work the same today the way they worked, you know, 5, 10, 20 years ago when I was getting started. Back in the day, and this has to do for social media or search engines, Amazon, YouTube, it used to be that you could put the right keywords and you can, you know, buy backlinks and get fake followers and they do all these different things. And, you know, now, these algorithms are basically trying to reverse engineer human psychology. So when you look at the correlations to what's working is things like the same in social media, it's the engagement on the website. So Google is looking more at whether the user, you know, search for a keyword and they went that you want to, we are interested in, in ranking on, they went to your website and then they bounced back. They didn't find, no, let's say they didn't stay. Or if they stayed, that's a great thing. And they're scrolling. And you know what? They're buying. They're contacting. Google is like, okay, this website is fulfilling um, what the user wants. And, you know, one of the things that we all, you know, this is the first chapter in the book. It's about establishing trust that we talked about uh, in, the, in the beginning of this podcast. So how do we measure trust? How do you measure trust? You know, and it's so subjective because if you ask somebody hey do you trust me on a, on a scale from zero to ten i mean somebody can just lie to you right but online you know how do you measure trust because trust is the most important factor in determining google's you know whether google's algorithm determining the value that you bring to google and going from conference to conference i keep hearing these marketers like using this like technical jargon you know what i know is that Google, what Google wants. And this one, that's why I felt like the world needed it in light of the pandemic. I feel like small businesses have an opportunity right now like never before to use Shopify, to use WordPress and make better websites, you know? So 
I developed the six uh, step system that has to do, you know, addresses the three things that are most important for any website. Number one is cognitive biases. Again, what's under the water when you look at the iceberg? These are the, the you know, east and second reactions when somebody reacts with your website where, you know, you have to know how to remove objections. You have to know how to encourage small steps. You have to know how you frame your offers. And there are certain cognitive biases I discuss in the book that, you know, not to manipulate or anything like that. This is exactly opposite from it, right? This is about providing the information that the user is looking for. The first thing they're going to look for is, you know, whether they can trust you. They try even be staying on this website. So what is the number one way to, to get trust? Let's go over these some of these cognitive biases. You know, one, number one is the bandwagon bias. So, you know, we are tribal, you know, uh, species. We live in tribes. And, you know, we look at what other people do. And that's natural for the human brain. We trust things that other people trust. If a lot of people bought, bought a stock on a stock market, you may go and buy that stock because a lot of people are hyping it, they're owning it. And, you know, you don't want to be the first. You are, you know, afraid to be the first to get something if nobody else has gotten it. So the, displaying social proof very prominently on your website is that one of the most important things every business has to do. The second thing is the authority bias, right? We trust the authorities. So whether it's media mentions or whether it's displaying the clients you work with or, you know, anything that can position you like the book we discussed. And then there is convert, what I call conversion triggers. So conversion triggers are basically a certain stimuli that are placed in the decision-making process that will get you closer to that reaction that you want. And again, this is about whether you want to get attention to your offer or you want to frame it. So the framing bias is something that is very important. You know, I give this example in my book where I was buying my first car in America, you know, many, many years ago. You work into a car dealership and I was like, what's your name? My name is Matthew, you know, and the guy goes, oh, my sister's brother's name is Matthew, you know. And then, you know, that's that's the type of like manipulative way. If you mm -hmm. look at the, like the bear, kind of like at the bear or if you go to like a timeshare, you know, or something like that. You know, the timeshare uses what's called an ownership trigger, for example, an ownership bias. That's why a lot of times websites, and I very encourage that to do that in my book, offer free trials, offer something that you can actually own and feel like you have it. So you have the plane ticket if you, you ever went to a meeting like that. And then, you know, you are more, you know, okay, I have this free trial and then I have to pay for it. I'm going to be much more inclined to do it because what that ownership bias tells us that you know, we're going to be much more affected emotionally at a loss of something than we are at the gain of something. So if you didn't have it before, I'm going to ask you to buy it. You're going to be less likely to buy it if you kind of had it for a while. And then I took it away from you. You're going to be very much distraught. That's why the test drive at the car, you know, dealership experience, let's, let's come in, let's get the test drive so you kind of feel like you own it. And how do you get that and put it on your website? How do you get these fundamental psychological principles and put on, on, on your website is what I'm talking about. And, you know, lastly, so we talk about cognitive biases, conversion triggers, and lastly, it's the modern SEO. But it's not the SEO that we know from the past. It's the modern SEO. And, you know, how do we create a situation on our, on our website where Google's algorithm 
pick up these signals that matter to them. Mm. Not how many times like you sprinkle the keyword in your content, but you know, they're looking at these signals that they try to quantify with technology. What are users doing? Are they, you know, browsing? Are they scrolling? Are they clicking back? And, you know, what we call for it, just the last example on this is interesting. It's called Pogo sticking in SEO. So let's say that your website got to rank position five. Wow, position five, people see you. You are at the bottom of the mobile device right there, maybe a little bit below the scroll or you position three or something. But let's say you're position five. And there's another website below you, position six. And obviously on Google, as you move up, the higher you are, the more clicks. Like number one position on Google gets about 50% of clicks or so. So everybody wants to move up. And let's say that over time, a lot of people click on your website and they stay very little and they bounce back, they bounce back, they bounce back. And as they bounce back, you know, they're going to scroll down to the next to find the link, the blue link that, that, that is going to answer their question. So they click on your competitor below and then they stay and then they scroll and then they visit pages and then they view pages and they stayed for three minutes, maybe submitted a question or something and chatted with a chat bot or whatever they did over there. And then boom, left Google satisfied and didn't do any other action on that keyword, meaning that web page answered their question. What's going to most likely happen? You're going to go down and they're going to go above you. So this is what I'm talking about, uh, Pia, essentially. That, that is a beautiful description. And, you know, so I know nothing about SEO in the technical sense, but mm -hmm. I want to I want to highlight and reinforce what you just said, because I get a lot of people. There's two two kinds of people that are in my world. One is, you know, service providers who are concerned with their SEO. And the other is small like branding agency owners like mine who are also concerned about SEO for their clients because they'll have clients who hire them to do branding and their website design mm -hmm. and they ask about the SEO. And, and to me, my response to that, and this is the layman's response, but I feel like it's kind of a summary of what you just said. SEO, the way that people think, think about it is still five, 10 years old when they, when they talk about SEO and keywords and alt tags. And it's not that that stuff doesn't still exist, but Google's algorithm has gotten so much smarter that what Google is just trying to do is give people the best experience. So if you focus on making your website the best experience so that when people land on it and they're your target market, they stay, they read, they click, that's what Google is going to give you know, give weight to more. And as, as a small business owner, we're not talking about million dollar businesses here. We're talking about people who are, con, you know, service businesses are doing a few, you know, less than $500,000 a year in sales. Mm -hmm. If that's you, that's what you should be focused on. You should be focused on making your website and your brand the best experience it can be for your, your ideal clients and Google and, and focus there and don't worry so much about, you know, cause especially because, you know, I often, preach using Squarespace. I'm sure you, I know you're a technical person, so you're definitely all on the WordPress train. But when you get to the technical parts of SEO, a lot of people say, oh, WordPress is, you know, can do a lot more than, than Squarespace can. And to me, I say, look, you're a couple hundred thousand dollar business. Like that's not the kind of SEO that you're going to be doing. And I wouldn't stress about it because it's a lot more work and effort for you to do that when really we're trying to get a handful of really high paying consulting clients. And for that, the kind of 
quote, SEO that we're going for is the amazing user experience. So that's that's kind of what I heard you saying and, and kind of how I had interpreted it originally. So mm-hmm. did I miss something there? Are you in agreement? No, you, you're very much on point. As with every secret sauce, there is a lot of ingredients to the sauce. And, you know, when you make a soup, you're not just going to put, you know, chicken and water and like, oh, you know, so it's not like just putting user experience into the, the mix. Okay. That's one of the most important thing because it's not going to affect only the algorithms It's going to affect the customer journey. It's going to affect your conversion rate It's going to affect everything there is, you know, why this website even should exist. So that's one thing. Now, the old school tactics that I want to talk about for a small business right now, just to give them some actionable tips uh, to get started. Okay. So, you know, you have to know where you're going to compete. If you are e-commerce website, it's going to be different where you just want a brochure website. Like for some of our people who are building sales funnels, they just want to use lead pages and create a landing page and drive, you know, Facebook ads. For SEO is different. For SEO, you're building a domain, and it's okay to start small as long as you know you're growing and you have a growth-minded uh, mindset. WordPress yeah. is the best experience for content-driven website. Okay, now if you only want to put a brochure website, like one page, and maybe two pages, like about or something like that, yeah, you can use Word. Like this website, a one-page website or a five-page website yeah. will never ever do well in SEO. Unless somehow you go viral and people search for your brand name. For SEO, you need like 100 pages, 200 pages but can, over time. But can those pages be the mm-hmm. blog, the content? When you uh, talk you about know, pages, do yeah. those count as pages? Yeah, they do. Yeah, okay. And and blog is a very important part of it. So, But before the blog, you have to look at your website as a pyramid. What's on the top? Homepage. That's the page you're going to, you know, I love to use 80-20 rule. 80% of your time homepage then you need category pages category pages okay for services you know for you know for services you offer for if you have some kind of a product some SaaS product or whatnot an app uh, an online course a mastermind or whatever how can i bring break the topic that you are all about into categories like people put all these categories in one page it becomes one page so okay this is a general page and each of these categories, these benefits, these service types or whatnot, you know, let's say that you are a coach. So you offer workshops, uh, online courses, consulting, the one-on-one coaching, individual training, and I can go on and on and on, and I need pages for these services, okay? Then let's say that you are a coach. So, you know, you have, let's say that you are a coach for restaurants. So it's gonna be, you know, restaurant coach page, a restaurant consultant page restaurant you know training workshop page and for all these pages for all these different categories i call them categories because they are understood in more general sense this way then under these categories for a good seo website you want to do subcategories so let's say you are coach uh restaurant consultant you know under that i put uh, franchises consulting i put you know fast food restaurant consulting i put uh, italian restaurant consulting and i do keyword research Okay, these are free tools. You can use SEMrush. You can use, we use Rank Ranger tool. I became recently a brand ambassador for Rank Ranger, which is a little bit more advanced SEO tool, but 
you know, there are free tools as well. And you can go to Google and find this information. Okay, wait, but before I want to stop you right mm -hmm. here, because this strategy that you're talking about is for the purpose of bringing traffic from Google because you are selling, because as a small business who is selling consulting, traffic from like random traffic from Google, pe lots of people coming to your site is not really the goal. Right? No, like, you don't want you don't want random. No. Right? So or or even targeted traffic. Like like if you're talking about somebody who is selling, you just named like ten different things. We've got we've got our coaching, our courses, our consulting, our products, our blah 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 blah. That's not how you build a couple hundred thousand dollar business. That's how you try to build a multi million dollar business. Is that true? Right. Um, That's like know, for the purpose of scaling. I would say, yeah, I would say that I am a firm believer of trying to like you know productize the service and monetize it totally. and, you know people like to engage differently you know you have a message maybe you have an online course a free class and you have coaching consulting you have an agency maybe you build partnership with other people where people come to your website and then you send them somewhere else because you are just generating leads that have value so there's many ways to look at it but the idea is building these conversion funnels so you have to look at transactional keywords i call them golden nugget keywords transactional keywords if the keyword is just restaurant management or something like that, like that's a general keyword mm -hmm. or restaurant marketing is a general keyword. But if I put a keyword like a restaurant marketing consultant in Miami and I create a web page on my website for that keyword, this is a transactional keyword. Like they want you. <laughs> they want to go and find you. Because it's so specific and it's so it's clear so what it is. Yep. But the problem is that if you put all these keywords and all these different topics on one page and it's like a one long page like a sales page right. that you can that are Lost. great for yeah it's you know google is not going to be this web page needs to be dedicated to mm. that topic to rank on the topic so that's why i'm saying if you have only two pages you will rank maybe on two keywords if you have 100 pages and then the you know obviously don't go crazy there has to be a good user experience you know that's like a if you have a service business, you don't want to create like an e-commerce experience, right? With like navigation of like 10,000 pages. So you have to be the right judge of, you know, how you present the user and you use the drop down navigation so people can drop down and, you know, they can go deeper and deeper. And the idea is that people find what's in, what they are interested, that they can navigate there. They don't have to scroll on the page, you know, forever to maybe find a sentence that is to them. So this is usually a good user experience, okay? And then you have to think about your blog. And this is key because a blog is also not too sexy. You know, who wants to talk about the web blog? You go on stage at the conference, marketing conference, and raise your hand if you are excited about blogging. You know, people are like, get this guy off the stage when I talk about Clubhouse. Truth is that websites that blog get 55 more percent of traffic and 80% more leads compared to websites that don't blog. And when you build this funnel, uh, on top you will have, uh, sorry, at the bottom you have the decision type of transaction keywords, and then you have more like a consideration stage and then a little bit more awareness. So you're not gonna be building a web page uh, that is basically uh, more of kind of an editorial. So maybe I have, uh, let's go back to the restaurant marketing example. So maybe I have like a keyword website marketing tips uh, franchise restaurant market and just like as niche as targeted as it gets and I know 10 people search this way I want these 10 people I don't care about 
you know, 10,000 people who search for restaurant stuff. Yes. I want these 10 people because this is what I have for them. So finding these nuggets is really something that is important, but it's a tactic because if they find it and they land on the webpage um, that is not dedicated to the topic, that's going to be a gap between what they're looking for and what this page is all about. They're going to bounce. SEO goes down. You're not going to convert anybody this way, right? If they don't find that there is something there for them. You know, when you have an issue with some kind of, let's say you have an issue, you broke your arm. I'm not going to go to a general doctor. I'm going to go to, you know, the hospital's website. I'm going to look for a doctor that is about, you know, that type of issue that I have. The same with anything, you know, people want to find that kind of niche keyword. And if you have a page for it, you are ahead of the competition right there. Love it. Love it. Okay. So what I hear you saying is the more specific you can be, the better. And make sure that that specificity is dedicated on certain pages. You know, one caveat. People go very, very niche and then create these phrases that nobody searches for. <laughs> right. you know? so, yeah, don't you know, make you something have... up. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you have to use you know, Google uh, Keyword Planner, uh, Google Trends, some of these free keyword research tools. Just Google free keyword research tool. You know, I, I mentioned I like SEMrush, Rank Ranger, some of the others. Keyword Magic is great. Keywords everywhere. It's a great plugin you can actually put on your Chrome and find keywords that people search for, okay, but also are within your reach. So if you are competing with a small website as a startup and like, I love this keyword, and then you look at the top 10 websites and they're all like, you know, huge websites where with like million dollar budgets, it's going to be very hard for a small website to dominate that niche. So, you know, how competitive and make sure that people actually searching for that word. Yeah, I, long tail keywords, is that what they're called? That's what I've been calling them. <laughs> is that like o yeah. outdated? <laughs> no, they call it, they still call it. You know, they still the, call it that, okay. Long tail. Yeah, the, the, the point is, I think when people are really new to the idea of SEO, my experience anyway has been that their concept of what SEO means is being found on Google for really generic terms. And what I hear you saying is, I love what you just said. You know, there are 10 people going for that and I want those 10 people. That's, if you're a small business, that is the only strategy that's going to work with you. So when I hear all of these things that you're saying you could do, I can imagine somebody taking it and only kind of understanding half of it and then going crazy looking at keywords, trying to figure out how they're gonna dominate. But we're, this is like one strategy to be used in a way that is congruent with your business, right? You're not trying to create a business around keywords. You're you're an expert in something. We're looking for you to own that niche so that you can get those those 10 people, but also that page that you make is not just for Google. It's for when you're posting on social media or when you're talking to people, you want to have this page dedicated to them because that is the great user experience. Let's say that going back to the restaurant example, mm -hmm. let's say that you are a franchise uh, restaurant and yeah. you're looking for somebody who specializes in franchise restaurants and you go and you do a, a, your research and you find three web pages that talk about restaurant you know management consulting and whatnot and one of these websites have in a navigation specific page about the franchise restaurant you go yada 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 they're the clients the testimonials are you going to be calling the other ones and asking hey guys do you actually right. offer this you're right there you boom you sold it's a great case for niching. 
<laughs> which is the thing that everybody knows they need to do, but nobody wants to do. That's the experience we're trying to create for people. I love it. Okay, let me ask you one more thing. At what point in business does it make sense? Let's say you're a consultant, you know, you're selling your services, you're one person, you're growing your business. When does it make sense for you to start thinking about this kind of SEO work? Because our time is limited. Our, our resource of time and money is limited. So there's only so many places you can go when you're investing in marketing your business. When is this a good place to go and invest that time? You need to start about SEO right at the beginning when you choose your business name. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so listen, picking your domain is one of the most important um, tasks that you will go about in starting your kind of SEO journey. So I like .com domains, you know, they're great. Yes. Right now you have these different domain extensions, you can find something, but it's all about you know, the .com still, right? I mean, that's trust too, for some reason. That's right. We trust that's .com right. more. That's right. You know, when you create a business name, look for a domain. And if you can put a keyword in there, you're lucky enough, then, then that may help with SEO, right? Having a keyword in the domain can help with SEO. And then, you know, when you plan your entire business plan, at that point, somebody already should be putting that structure of your business into a website, you know, your mission statement, your about. And the Tao, I think, famously said, you take a journey of a million miles, right? You start with, start with the first step, domain, the second step, you know, build your homepage, that's it. Or put, you know, you should put coming soon. The first step in SEO is start building your domain H. So it takes time for Google to trust a domain, especially, you know, if you just created a website yesterday, they're like, can I trust it? But if you put right off the bat, you have a domain, put it up there, one page coming soon, that domain start aging, right? The domain start aging. Second thing, just do a web, do a homepage, your most important page. And you can use the parallax, you know how people use parallax, where they click on the link and it goes down mm -hmm. to a section on the homepage. And eventually you break these sections into pages and you create your own pages. You know, then after a while, I would say, you know, you may want to launch a blog. Now with the blog, the way we approach it is that you want to connect the dots, social media, blog, and newsletter. So every time you have to think about everything you put out as a campaign, I call it a healthy, a healthy heartbeat. Okay. So you have these big spikes. This can be an ebook. This can be a blog post. And then I want to scale it. You know, you put a blog post first, then you want to repost it on your LinkedIn as a post on your medium. And ideally find a partner where you're also going to be able to repost it. You know, I used to repost it with social media uh, week or social media today or something like that. And now I'm working with an association on my ability to repost my blog content on their post, but Google cares about the original content. So that's going to be your own website. Oh, wait, I have to ask you something about that. What is the deal with like exactly what you just said? You're allowed to repost articles on LinkedIn verbatim and it's not going to hurt any sort of SEO and or I took at one point I had my VA repost all of my Forbes articles or like a whole bunch of them on my website and all of a sudden my website disappeared from Google. <laughs> So I took them all down and it came back. So I'm very oh, really? wary of reposting content. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm surprised that, you know, if you did it, you know, 10 articles that Google will have a problem with it. Usually Google looks at like a massive violation where you have 
you know, spamming, you're just kind of reposting. But there's nothing wrong with reposting uh-huh. things. You know, from okay. the perspective of a, of a website owner, if you actually repost something where it's already published, what you have to do is give credit to that, you know, you say, this was originally published and link it there. That's all you have and to yeah, do? Wor- just as a link? No, and in WordPress, you can also do the canonical tag that you yeah, mentioned. But you can't do um, it on LinkedIn. Yeah, but LinkedIn is not a website. LinkedIn is a, is a social media platform. Oh. You know, and same for Medium. Like, LinkedIn articles don't really show up in social search re- in search results as much gotcha. as websites. Oh, gotcha. I'm republishing on, 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 on LinkedIn, not for, like, my SEO rankings, but just so I get in front of additional audiences with my content. Gotcha. I also grab the blog post. And I create a graphic or I create a, a slideshow about this. So let, right now we're writing a, a blog post about, you know, a few social media networks, you know, to get your move, first mover advantage. So we're going to create a slideshow for social media and a blog post and maybe an infographic and then share that content to a newsletter and republish it on Medium and LinkedIn. So a lot of people blogging and they're like, oh, nobody's reading. Nobody's like seeing my message. So you have to, if you do these steps mm. and you do it weekly or biweekly and you keep kind of spinning, you spinning, you spinning, you'll see that it will compound into you know, building your readership, audience and traffic. Gotcha. And, of, and does it go without saying you got to have a call to action in all of this content? If you're posting it on Medium, don't you have to have some sort of call to action to send them back to something that gets you on their newsletter or gets them following you or something? Yeah, I like the call to actions. and But also I feel like we are a little bit underestimating, you know, our visitor, our website visitors. If they like what they're reading, you know, they can find a way to contact you and that sort of a thing. You know, I don't like these pop-ups when things get in my face per se, but yeah. sometimes they work. They do work sometimes. But at the bottom of the page, I like a nice call to action. But the blog is really, the idea behind the blog is twofold. Number one, you want to attract more people to your website using targeting keywords that you would not be able to target with your category pages and, and so on, right? They're more editorial, they're more how-to, it's more about everything you need to know about this topic and, you know, you create like a Wikipedia, you know, of a, of, a, of a topic on your website where you have the key categories and then you have other tips that then link. You want to link from your blog post, you want to link to your category pages, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's say that you have a category pages about franchise restaurants, when you, there's a black topic about franchise restaurant, you link. A lot of people end up linking to your blog post because what is a motivation for somebody to link to your service page? But if you write an engaging article about a certain topic, and there's more editorial, when you provide value, not pitching your service, but answering a question, provide value, then people may link to it, you know, and that's how your website will get these backlinks, will, which in turn will build up your domain authority and you'll be more competitive. You know, you have more authority in Google uh, to rank on the competitive websites. Mm-hmm. Or you have a landing page and a social media ad, but then you have to spend on Facebook ads, right? It's a little bit right. different. Right. How do you feel about Facebook ads? You know, I think it's gotten more competitive. I think Google ads have gotten way more competitive. I mean, competitive in terms of cost. Right. Okay. Because it's an auction. So the more advertisers, the higher the price. You know, we, I, when I started in Google Ads, I remember when looking, we were finding these Google, you know, keywords for ten cents, fifty cents, you know, five cents. And right now, it's like everything is so expensive. These these clicks are becoming more expensive. 
That's why SEO is more important, more and more important. And when you're looking at all the traffic available to you, there is limited traffic on the internet. So there was a study done by over like a billion page, pages, I believe, uh, by BrightEdge, and they found out that 53%, 5-3% of that inventory comes from SEO, okay, organic search. And then about 12% comes from Google Ads. So, you know, not everybody will click on a Google ad, okay, maybe like 20% of 10 to 20% of visitors of Google, and the rest is SEO. Now, so 65% of all traffic inventory comes from search, Google and other search engines. Now, you know how much of that comes from social media? Five or less percent. Five or less? Mm-hmm. Wow. Comes from social media. Now, if you Is that actually, because people don't want to get off of social media? No, that's what Mark Zuckerberg doesn't want people to do. Right. Okay? Okay. Google measures success, but how quickly they get you off their website. You know, like if you go to a web page that answers your question, that's they successful. That oh, you are successful, right? Yeah. Now do a test. I'm asking you to do a do a test, Pia. Do a graphic, okay, as a post organically, without like sponsoring it or anything like that on Facebook. And then do something with a link to your website. Okay. Yeah, they don't the want link will get like zero, like five. You know, you're gonna be like, oh, I got two likes on my link. You know, once you share a link and you share like an article or something where people start leaving Facebook, they most don't likely want to show they, it. Oh, I absolutely no. know that because I have kind of an automated <laughs> system of sharing all my Forbes articles on Facebook and like nobody sees them. Like right. they don't want they don't want you to see them. Right. So again, this can this comes to the type of scalability where, like you said, a lot of your um, listeners are early on. So what's better, get it perfect or just be out there, okay? And you have to be out there professionally. So I talk a lot about kind of how do you uh, create a repeatable, scalable process which allows me to be in these places. Maybe it's not perfect. Maybe I don't change. Like, you know, people say, you know, then you scale up and you become, you know, Coca-Cola, okay? And you hire a Madison Avenue agency and you say, I want custom content for Facebook. I want custom content for TikTok. And you're going to have a million dollar budget and somebody's just going to be doing your TikTok content. Otherwise, it's very hard for an entrepreneur, you know, unless this is your thing. You yeah. know, you just want That's to what be you do social all media day. popular. Right. If you're an influencer, you <laughs> yeah. know, go ahead. Otherwise, you just have to find a way to connect these dots and yeah. to able to, you know, repeat and rinse yes. the same content, the same campaign, but obviously do it in a, in a, in a, in a style and format that will correspond to, to the platform, right? So great video is great. You know, I, I've been doing like, for example, you know, we're doing a, an audio here. Maybe you have a video clip, you can cut it out and put, you know, on YouTube maybe, and as a social media story. So you have to find, you know, how you can create one interview and do different things with it. Yeah. That's kind of what I approach. That's the SEO way. Yeah, that's the <laughs> SEO way. I love it. That's a great note to end on. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure catching up. I can't believe how long it's been. <laughs> thank you so much, Bia, for having me on the show. Matthew was kind enough to share all of those links for keyword research. So I'm going to repost those in the podcast notes at piasilva.com backslash podcast. And of course, you should definitely check out Matthew's new book, The Psychology of a Website, which is currently on special on Amazon for only $2.99. So definitely grab that. 
I will also link to that in the show notes. And if SEO is your big next marketing strategy, then you should check out Matthew's company, alphamedic.com. You might even want to take a business trip to Miami to check them out. Maybe. Sounds like a pretty good idea to me. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show wherever you are listening. And if you got some value out of this, then share it with a friend. Friends don't let friends miss out on awesome podcasts. Am I right? Yes, I thought so. Taking inspiration from Matthew today, let's take a second and talk about trust. Specifically, the trust that you build with your viewers on your website homepage. You heard what Matthew said, and I concur. The split-second impression that clients have of you and whether or not they trust you and want to learn more, it happens in less than a second when they land on your homepage. So what does your homepage say? Do you have trust symbols? Do you have social proof? Logos of impressive clients or publications that you've been featured on? Do you have testimonials? Everyone has something that they can put front and center to demonstrate that other people trust them and therefore that you, the viewer, should trust them as well. So take this opportunity to just do a little audit of your website and see what you think. Would you trust you? Be honest. This might just be your next step to showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Lou Blazer. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Creative direction by Steve Wastervall. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. 